You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 19. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapist Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Ramback, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is literally one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone that saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option, automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all right here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or practice online. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have 5 or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Stephanie Bolton. Stephanie has been a music therapist since 1997, a wife since 2002, a proud mom since 2005, and a private practice owner since 2009. Along the way, she's moved across the country three times, held six different music therapy jobs in four different settings and populations, finished her master's, and completed training in GIM. Now her family is happily settled in Huntsville, Alabama, where Stephanie runs her private practice part-time so she can be home with her daughter after school. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I'm so glad you invited me. I'm very happy to do it. Good, good. Well, let's start with a little bit about your background and how you became a music therapist. Yes, I feel like I'm um, an oldster here because I've (laughs) been doing this since 1997. Have you really? Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, I've 18 years and counting now. Go you. Um, I know, <laughs> right? And so I got my, my bachelor's from the University of Alabama. Um, roll Tide, if anyone's listening. <laughs> and 
immediately left the state um, because at the time I could count the music therapists on two hands who were in Alabama. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to find a job here. So I left and moved up to Rochester, New York and worked for a couple of years. Um, actually, I lived there for about 10 years. Um, worked in inpatient psych was my very first job out of college. Um, talk about trial by fire. No kidding. And <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing was when, you know, when, when you're an undergrad, you sort of have these ideas about where you want to go and who you want to work with and what kind of setting you want to work in. And I had decided that I didn't want to work in a hospital and I didn't want to work in psych. And wouldn't you know, that's exactly where I landed. And was that really just because what of what was available at the time? That's interesting. I, I knew that I wanted to move to Rochester. Um, and so, yeah, when I was at my internship, um, someone had just advised me that while I was at internship, I needed to send out some, uh, make some phone calls and send some emails to like music therapy program directors and university programs where I wanted to move and just ask them what's available. And so uh, Brian Hunter was um, working at Nazareth College in Rochester at the time. And he replied to me and said, hey, I have a friend who's a medical doctor in this hospital and they want to start a music therapy program on their inpatient unit. So you should check that out. So that's what I did. And I was fortunate enough to be hired and start that program. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. I never would have thought going into it that I would have enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, but it was, it was just terrific. I really, really liked my time there. Um, was that overwhelming for you starting a program right out of internship? Um, no, because it wasn't really, um, it sounds much more impressive than I think it was. Um, they'd never had a music therapist before. Um, Dr. Hunter had just talked to his friend and convinced him that music therapy would be a fantastic thing to add to inpatient psych. Um, so he thought, sure, why don't we hire someone and find out how great it is. Um, so I was actually under uh, the therapeutic recreation department. Um, and there were only actually three of us. It was a Oh, goodness. A 20-bed psych unit. Um, so it was fairly small in scale to start with. They didn't need a whole lot of us. Um, but within that, I also had the flexibility and the autonomy to kind of uh, develop how I wanted to use music with them. Um, so I think looking back on it now, that was a much greater gift than I um, realized at the time. Because I haven't walked into too many jobs since then that sort of gave me that autonomy and that um, ability to just sort of say, hey, you're the music therapist. You know this. You decide what, what is best and what you want to do here. So it wasn't quite you jumping in and completely starting from the ground up all on your own. No, they already had an established um, therapeutic rec department. And so I was just coming in and adding music therapy to what they were doing. Oh, nice. Um, okay. But, but the beautiful thing was that my, um, my supervisor, who was a rec therapist, 
she totally got music therapy and was very supportive and very encouraging and um, was always just um, helping me and encouraging me to try new things and brainstorming new ways that we could incorporate music um, in different groups and different programs. Um, so that was, I really just enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Neat. Very cool. So had you had a lot of experience in inpatient mental health and in psych previous to this position? No. <laughs> so what was that like entering I, this this population? Well, I had done um, in undergrad because, you know, we have to do all this clinical practicum experience. And so I had done a semester on a um, in Tuscaloosa um, at school. There was a long-term mental health institution, basically. And so I had done a semester there, like once a week, doing an hour-long group kind of thing. Um, so I was familiar, certainly, with um, mental health, but in more of a long-term care setting um, and not so much the acute inpatient setting, which was very different. Um but there are a lot of similarities because it's all mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times the people, the patients we would see in the hospital were those who really should have been in a long-term care kind of setting, but that wasn't available at the time um, or in our location. So, um, so there are a lot of similarities. I didn't feel completely like a fish out of water, um, but it, it was pretty different in there was a learning curve involved, but fortunately, um, the staff there were really supportive and um, really helpful and um, taught me an awful lot in a very short period of time. So I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how long were you in that position? I did that about two and a half years, and then I moved on to um, working in skilled nursing. <laughs> Oh, and how did you and, decide to make that transition? I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my younger years, I used to think that someday I would love to be a university professor. So my, my thinking was, if I was going to be a professor someday, that I needed to have work experience in a lot of different areas. So part of my master plan at the time was to get work experience and kind of move around to different settings and different populations. So when I sort of um, started feeling like my time in mental health was coming to an end, then um, also fortunately in Rochester, there's a booming music therapy community and lots of jobs. Um, so it, it was fairly easy for me to switch populations and switch settings um, and find a full-time gig at a skilled nursing facility actually a really big nursing home we had 500 beds wow in the wow. nursing home and there were gosh i was full-time and there was a part-time music therapist and we had a like a per diem music therapist who would come in one day a week all day long um so we we had really a really great thing going on there and how long did you end up staying at that facility I was, I did skilled nursing for about seven years. Okay. Um, so a good long time. And yeah. I did primarily because our, 
our home was so big. Um, I did mostly Alzheimer's and dementia. I did a little bit of hospice, not a whole lot. Um, uh, we also had a rehab floor. So on occasion I would get some calls from rehab to go up and help them with something. Um, but mostly it was just the Alzheimer's and dementia that I worked with. And did you find that that was, um, a lot different from the work that you had done previously, or was there some crossover there? Hmm. That's an excellent question. Um, I think what I find similar, regardless of who I have worked with client wise, um, is that the skill set is the same in terms of, you know, we have to use the same kind of listening skills, no matter who we're working with. We use the same musical skills, no matter who we're working with. The thing that changes perhaps is how we use the music and the music repertoire that we need. You know, um, when we work with kids, that's very different. There's a very different songs than when I worked um, in the nursing home. So, but I think some of the basic skills are the same in that we listen, um, we meet our clients where they are. Um, so those kinds of things, I didn't find I was, um, were all that different mm -hmm. going from mental health to geriatric care. Um, because certainly the, there is a little bit of, of overlap um, in the middle to late stages of Alzheimer's, um, they can exhibit some of the same kinds of behaviors and symptoms as mental health. Sure. But in terms of, you know, acting out and, and things like that. But, but I think it's all, it's just about listening. Um, for me, that's what it really comes down to paying attention and getting to know my client and what they need and what they want and where they are. Um, and where they're looking to go and what the progress is they want to make. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point that you make. So was it while you were working in the nursing home that you and mm -hmm. your your husband decided that the time was right to start a family, or was this later on after you had left? No, it was while I was working there. Okay. And I had actually decided to go to graduate school. Mm -hmm. Um which, you know, listening to some of your other podcasts with music therapy moms seems to be a common occurrence. It does. And <laughs> even the the couple that I've just um, interviewed this week have said the same thing. That's so interesting. Yeah. it's. I don't know if we reach a certain point in our career when we decide that we need to birth something, <laughs> whether it's a baby or a master's degree. Apparently. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I decided to go back to graduate school and probably within the first year got pregnant, which, you know, because when we when we decided to start trying to have a family, you know, I think most people think, oh, it'll take us a while, right? This exactly. is not going to be a big deal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and lucky, lucky for us, we didn't have any trouble. Um, so like two semesters into grad school when I was pregnant, um, which fortunately didn't, I only had to skip one semester, which I was very thankful for. Um, so, so yeah, it happened fairly early on in, in my graduate program. 
And did you continue throughout your pregnancy to complete or to um, do your schoolwork? Yes, I had to take off. My daughter was born in February. Okay. And so I took off that spring semester because I knew there was really no way that I would be able to keep up with all of my homework and, and stuff um, and have a newborn at the same time. Yeah, that was a good decision. Uh, very sane. Yeah, it was. You know, I remember thinking that, oh, no, I can do that because she wasn't really due until March. Um, and I remember thinking, I'll be almost done with the semester. I could probably get most of it done. So in hindsight, I'm really glad I didn't try that because it would have ended horribly. <laughs> most likely. But yeah, so I only took off that one semester and then started back up again in the summer um, and finished the degree. Um, and were you working at this time too? Yes. <laughs> so how were you, how are you managing all of that at once? Yes, I was, we were really lucky when I was still working at the nursing home, they had opened, um, they had actually renovated some apartment buildings that they had previously used for an assisted living kind of independent living apartment. Um, and said so they had renovated that building into a daycare, um, mostly for employees to use, but it was also open to the general public. You know, anyone could, could go to, to use, use childcare there. Um, but I was really lucky that I could go back to work and have, um, my daughter, Anna, just right across the parking lot in daycare. So I could go over and have lunch with her. Um, I can, you know, drop her off. I mean, cause basically it was at work. So I didn't have to, there was no extra time in commuting to and from work. Cause I just take her with me and drop her off. And, um, so yeah, it was really nice. And they also, we'd started an intergenerational program, um, about that same time. So I would find out like where her little, her buggy was going to be that day. And I go and stop on the floor that she was on and, so there was lots of time for us to kind of touch base with each other during the day. So I think that made it a lot easier um, for me to go back to work, just knowing that I could see her as often or whenever I wanted to. I'm sure that made a big difference. It did. It was really nice. Um, How long of a maternity so, leave did you take from your job before you returned? Three months. Nice. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And did you feel ready to go back or not so much? Um, I did. You know, I, I was, even while I was on maternity leave, I was always still checking my work email, which I know we tell people you really shouldn't do that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easier said than done. But... but I would I would really periodically um, check my work email, so I still felt like I was in touch, like I hadn't missed out on a lot. Um, and thankfully, my boss was also really good about um, getting on my case when I started answering emails that's, while I was still on maternity. That's nice. That's a good <laughs> she boss right like, there. She, she was like, you know, Stephanie, you still have four weeks left, right? <laughs> so... Um, so she did a good job of trying to keep me in line and yeah. answering. And, um, but 
I don't know. I had a lot of my in-laws lived in Rochester, so we had a lot of family support too. Um, so I sort of felt like I had a good handle on everything that I was managing things pretty well. Um, although really the first what whole year of a baby's life is kind of a blur for mom. Yeah, that's, that is so true. That's so true. And especially yeah. when you're, when you're thinking about work and, and getting ready to take the plunge of going back and making everything right. work for your family, it's a lot to, to juggle. And it's all so new that you're really just kind of wading your way through it. Right. Yes, exactly. Did you have to make any changes in your job situation or in your schedule in order to accommodate now being a mom? No, not really. You know, the the really great thing about working at the nursing home when I was there was that they had also instituted a flex schedule. So, um, and they had trialed it in the, in the therapeutic recreation department. Um, and so we could work, we could really, as long as we worked our set number of hours during, you know, a seven day period of time, like Sunday to Saturday, as long as I got my 40 hours in, my boss didn't really, I don't want to say she didn't care, but she didn't care how that happened. As long as I got all my groups done and all my work done, that I could flex my schedule um, as I needed to. So if my daughter had a doctor's appointment, um, you know, on a morning sometime, then I could flex my schedule and not have myself come in until noon um, to accommodate that doctor's appointment. Um so it was really nice that um, that my boss was understanding and we had that ability to do that because I think that really catered a lot to those of us who were moms. And um, I think all of us were moms in the department at the time. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Or most of us. So, so it was really, really very um, family friendly and mom friendly um, to be able to do that. So I think that helped a lot. And I know there are, you know, most moms out there don't have that luxury, and I see it as a luxury now. <laughs> oh, it absolutely because it is. truly was. Yeah. yeah. Well, that right. in combination with with having your daughter right there, almost on site, that's such a great right. combination of of conveniences that I'm sure just mm -hmm. made that work life balance just a little bit easier. It did. It really did. And yeah. it was it was nice too having her on site at daycare because then her, you know, the the ladies who were taking care of her in the toddler room or wherever, they had my extension. So if, you know, Anna was doing something or if something was going wrong or she was having a rough day or whatever, they could just call me and say, you know, hey, we're having trouble getting her to eat. Can you come over or whatever the problem was? So that was also really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of changes did you feel like happened in yourself as a music therapist after becoming a mom? Oh, wow. I think I had, um, and it didn't show up really until um, after I had left the nursing home. Um, the job after that I had working with kids um, in home on the autism spectrum. So you really did and go so from population to population. Sorry to interrupt. I just find that so fascinating. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. So after, not only that, we moved from Rochester to Phoenix, Arizona, so I could do that um, 
work. Okay. Bless my husband. He has followed me everywhere. Um, but yeah, so I, that was really the first job I had working with kids. And at the time when we moved, my daughter was about two and a half. So what I discovered was that being a mom really helped me in terms of having patience with other kids um, and a certain comfort level. You kind of, I think once you've had a kid, your own child, you sort of know what to expect Mm -hmm. with, you know, certain developmental milestones. I mean, I think there's a difference between just reading it in a textbook and having the experience of, oh, yeah, I know kind of when they're supposed to roll over and when they're supposed to talk and what their first words are supposed to be like and and that sort of thing. And so I sort of felt like I had a better handle on it that I don't know that I would have had if I hadn't been a mom. Um, and I And, too, I think there's also a certain nurturance that comes from being a mom that I don't know that I would have had otherwise. Yeah, I definitely agree with with everything that you said. And I'm sure that that having that experience as a mom helped ease that transition since you hadn't had a whole lot of experience working music therapy-wise. Yeah, I think so because most of my kids um, that I – on my caseload were, you know, like under the age of 10. Um, Like between 3 and 11 I think was where most of my caseload fell. Mm -hmm. And – and so, you know, those those are the kids who, even if they've got some kind of learning disability diagnosis, they still want that that nurturance. And so I think having my own child sort of prepared me for having other kids want to just climb into my lap <laughs> or yeah. hug on me. You know, I, I didn't feel so much, um, you know, and, and give me sloppy kisses on the cheek and that sort of thing. And I didn't feel like grossed out by it because I'm like, okay, it's just kid stuff. Exactly. And you had that motherly instinct already there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have felt that if I hadn't been slobbered on by my own child. No. And I can personally attest to that because I've worked with kids pretty much my, well, yes, my entire career since becoming a Mm -hmm. music therapist. And I can honestly say I didn't have that initial reaction really until until my son was born and now it it doesn't phase me none of that phases me and right, whereas exactly. before you know things like that was maybe would make me a little bit uncomfortable now it's mm-hmm. like oh okay that's that's normal you know kid stuff yeah yeah let me grab the Kleenex out of my bag and <laughs> yeah. we'll wipe the nose we'll just go on exactly right and I think you know the other thing I I've noticed is that I'm much better able to multitask than I ever was before I was a mom mm-hmm. in term because I think, you know, mommy brain, yes, is forgetful, but it also sort of enables us to do four or five things simultaneously without really thinking about it. It just becomes natural to, you know, put on socks and tie shoes while wiping noses and brushing hair. Right. Because you have Those no choice. <laughs> all happen at once. Right. Uh-huh. And what I've also found is that it the mommy brain especially, it forces you to have to better organize your priorities and to figure out what needs to be done at what time. So yes. I'm I'm finding that my schedule, even though it's a lot more crazy and hectic now, I'm I'm mm-hmm. able to better organize it so that I do make sure that I get everything done. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think in, in at least for me, that was something I figured out while I was on maternity leave. Um, 
because, you know, it's that time when you're trying to figure out how to wash dishes and laundry and dust and pick up dirty clothes and throw out all the diapers while your baby sleeps for 20 minutes. And eat something for yourself. <laughs> yes. Right. And take a shower. Yeah. And take a shower. And, you know, exactly. there's like dust. A dozen things that need to happen in a 20-minute time frame. Yeah. And so it, it does become really important to kind of prioritize, you know, which is the most important thing that needs to get done right now mm-hmm. um, and make that list accordingly. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So what kinds of challenges have you had to face with being a working mom? Oh, Balance. Yeah, I think that's, it's that's ba- always the issue, isn't it? That balance. <laughs> yeah. That, that mythical and, balance. Right. Just that ever-elusive quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, after we lived in Phoenix a couple of years, um, we decided to move to Alabama um, because I wanted to uh, open a – Primarily GIM-based practice. Okay. Uh, crazy as that seems, that's what I wanted to do. And my fam, my family lives in Alabama, so it was a way for us to be closer to family again. Living in Arizona, we were completely across the country from anybody we knew. Um, and so my husband and I decided that you know we didn't want to raise our daughter so far away from her grandparents or her cousins or anyone. Um, so he decided to move back to Alabama. And how old was your daughter at the time? Uh, she was five. Okay. Just about five. Um, yeah, I think almost. So, yeah, we did that. And the the thing that really attracted me to private practice was that I thought I could create my own schedule Um, because it was really important to me to be home with her, at least in the afternoons when she got out of school. So I figured, you know, if I have my own practice, then I can just work, you know, between 8 and 2.30 every day and see clients and then be home with her in the afternoon. Um, And that maybe that would provide some balance. And did that end up working out the way that you hoped it would? Well, so far, yes. I think the struggle, the struggle I have now is that I work mostly from home. Um, So I see clients in my home office most of the week. But the trouble I'm having with a home office, and I know other music therapists who work from home have got to struggle with this as well. It can't just be me. That when I'm at home trying to work, then there's still all those nagging thoughts about, oh, well, I need to put the laundry in the dryer. And I heard the dishwasher finished, so I should probably put those away. And, oh, yeah, I've, I've got to remember to pull the ground beef out of the freezer if I'm going to have meatloaf tonight. Um, and so it's those kind of nagging thoughts that even though I'm trying to work because I'm in my own house, I still have all of those other things in my brain. And so that's my struggle recently is trying to figure out how to, um, I don't know, somehow create a balance with that. Yes, Stephanie, I can so, so relate to what you're saying. (laughs) Um, I actually just this past year moved my practice outside of my home, which it's been in my home since Mm -hmm. 2009. And 
It was wonderful. I absolutely loved working from home, having all of my clients come to me. And before I became a mom, it was great because I could devote, you know, as much time as I needed to my job. But after my son was born, having him home and with a babysitter while I was working and just having uh-huh. all of that at my fingertips, you know, kind of really distracted right. me from my work. And I was having that yeah. same struggle as you. And and I did make it through a full year of, of working in my home studio with him there. And, and he wasn't a distraction because it was, you know, far enough away and, right. um, you know, closed off enough that, that it wasn't like I could hear him while I was working. But, um, you know, just having those thoughts because you were in your home, um, I know how right. difficult that is. And I ended up actually moving outside of my home this mm-hmm. past um, fall. And it's, yes, it's been a little bit of an adjustment having a commute. Now, granted, that commute is like less than five minutes, but, um, <laughs> right. but it's, it's, it's been great because I have been able to have a little bit more separation, at least with the clinical side mm-hmm. of my work. And when I'm at work, I really am at work. It's not like I can run across the house and, you know, do some laundry or put mm-hmm. some dinner in the crock pot, which, you know, there are pros and cons to those things. But um, yeah. Yeah. but I think a lot of people in your position and in my former position can relate to that. So yeah. do, do you foresee yourself making any changes in that way? No, I don't. Um, I did this past fall. I do um, office share with someone. So I do have another um, office outside of my home. Oh, okay. A couple of days a week. Um, she she uses it mostly, much more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in a different part of town. So I sort of, when I have potential clients who call me and want to come in for um, – GIM, then, you know, I'll offer them that option. And it has been nice to have the option of, you know, do you want to come to my home office in South Huntsville or do you, you know, I have another office that's out in the next suburb over, um, you know, so which is more convenient. So it's been nice to offer them that option and the option of just a different setting. You know, some people think it's fantastic that, you know, I can see them in my home because it's much more comfortable. It gives them that sort of cozy feeling and it's easier for them to, um, you know, share their struggles with me. Um, and some people just, that makes them uncomfortable. So it's nicer for them to have a, a more typical office setting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm still at home much more than I'm at my office. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm still sort of trying to brainstorm how I can set up like some self-imposed boundaries <laughs> on when I work and when I'm home. Right. Again, so, one of those things that's easier said than done. Right, right. And so I've, I've been trying different things. Like, you know, when I come into my home office, maybe I just close the door. And that hasn't really worked that well because mm-hmm. I can hear the dryer through the door. Right. So I know when it's done. <laughs> you know? Um, I can't really close the door because we have pets. And so if I close the door, then they can't tell me when they need to go outside. Um, so I'm still struggling with you know, with how to manage that in a, in a better way so that I feel like at the end of the day, I've, I've been productive at work, um, and not just productive at home. Mm -hmm. And is this, is this a mix of administrative work in addition to your clinical work? 
Um, I don't know, really. Um, I spend a lot of time, um, kind of, I think of it as on the back end of my practice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of like social media management, blog posting, video blogging, um, working on other projects for my practice. Um, because the clinical work doesn't take me that long. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, I sort of, you know, do my own paperwork. So that, you know, I fill out my own forms and it doesn't take that long. Um, but it, I sort of feel like, yeah, maybe it, that is administrative stuff that falls into the back end of managing a private practice. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also say that those kind of tasks, while they definitely need to be done, those are the ones that we get distracted from the the easiest. And um, oh, right. especially being in the home environment because you feel like, yeah. oh, I'm working on this blog post. I can take a quick break and go throw in a load of laundry or whatever the case may be. <laughs> right. And then, you know, that one yeah. simple task ends up taking you hours because you're doing all of these other things in between. Right. You know, it reminds me of that book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Yes. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, yes, I might I might leave to go warm up my mug of coffee and suddenly I'm cleaning out the dishwasher and putting stuff in the crock pot and answering the mail. And, you know, yeah, it's an hour and a half before I get back to that blog post. Yep. Yep. I know how that goes. Well, I spend a lot of time at home um, doing that kind of work as well. So even though I do have the outside space for my actual clinical work, I'm still definitely struggling with those issues now. And I even, you know, had my office move downstairs into the basement so that it was away from the kitchen, away from the laundry and all of that. But no, still, you know, I find myself going up and down those stairs. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll go run and do this or, you know, clean the kitchen up real quick or whatever and yeah yeah it's it's a constant battle but (laughs) I'm working on it but you know it's one of those that I think you know at least for me I consciously chose that to do yeah um you know it was my choice and I remind myself of that you know I'm very aware that this was the choice I made um and I wouldn't change it for anything right Um, right and I love doing practice thing. But I think there are some of those smaller struggles within that that I didn't anticipate were going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And you can't we all think, foresee them all. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of self-discipline, I think. And, and you're right. People mm-hmm. say, oh, you're so lucky to be able to work from home so much. And yes, I do feel that way, especially right now, you know, being at the end of my pregnancy and, um, right. you know, just being able to be a little bit more comfortable and all of that great stuff, but um, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely it comes with its challenges as well. Right. So we've yep. we've touched on a lot of challenges. What about some of the more fulfilling aspects of being a working mom? Um. Oh gosh, I don't. You know, I don't think about it as being a working mom. As strange as that sounds, I think um, for me. The really fulfilling part is that um, I still have, I feel like I have enough quality time with my daughter um, that I think sometimes she forgets that I work during the day (laughs) (laughs) Uh because it's, you know, to her, she's like, you know, mom's just home. I'm like, no, sweetie, I'm I'm working. Um, 
but I think it's it's ha- being able to do both is really fulfilling for me. It's being able to do this GIM work that's just amazing and powerful and so rewarding for me to be part of. But at the same time, I can still be there to take my daughter to her piano lessons or her after school clubs or to like yesterday, we just stopped at the library after after school. Um, So it's it's great to have that freedom and that flexibility that, you know, I know once two thirty hits and school is out that, you know, we've got the afternoon together. Um, and that I'm not worrying about, okay, I've got to make sure I drop her off here and go here and do this and do that because I have work to do. Um, being in private practice, you know, I can, if I don't finish my administrative stuff in the morning, um, for good or bad, I can put it off till tomorrow mm-hmm. or yeah. put it off until later this evening after she goes to bed. Um, so that's, that's been the really nice part about um, working from home and being in private practice. Yeah. And I like that you, you don't necessarily classify yourself as a working mom per se. Um, yes, obviously we all work, but I think that being music therapists, it's something so much more than a career to us. And it's um, a part of our identity really. Um, and I, I feel the same way. I don't necessarily, you know, think of, oh, okay, well, music therapy is my job. And then, you know, I'm a mom and all of this other stuff. It's like, no, I'm a mom, I'm a music therapist and that's just who I am. Right. I love how you phrase that. And I think, you know, I think because I do some, I do a lot of work with women in wellness and self-care and I talk with them about the different roles we all have and the different hats we put on, that we aren't limited to, I am one thing, you know, I am not just wife, I'm not just mom, I'm not just music therapist, I'm all of those things, but it's a fluid process, you know, Mm -hmm. I I can easily move from mom to music therapist between 7.30 and 8 in the morning after I drop in off at school, but I'm not limited to one or the other. And there are times that, you know, we can wear more than one hat and be more than one thing, but that we are all of it and not just, we are not our individual parts. We are a whole. Um, and I think that's important to, to think about and remember so that if one area is not going well, you know, if I have a bad day at work as a music therapist, then I can still have a good day as a mom. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that is so true. And I, I love that you said that, um, because I think that's such great advice for other music therapists to keep in mind, because not every day is going to be so smooth and you're not going to get an A plus in every single area. So there's always right. those ways to kind of, you know, have those, have those checks and balances throughout your day and in those mm-hmm. different roles. And I think that's that's where balance can kind of come in again, that sometimes I know if I want to have an A plus day as a mom, I'm going to have to have like a B minus day as a music therapist mm-hmm. or vice versa. You know, that there are choices I have to make and I make them um, from a mindful place and from a self-aware place that, OK, I'm going to have to not do this over here if I want to do this over there. Um and so it's that give and take and that knowing that, you know, some days I'm going to flunk as a mom and yeah. some days I'm going to flunk as a music therapist and that that's okay because it's, it's a fluid 
process. We're all on that journey and not every day is the same. Well said. Very well said. So Stephanie, do you have any music therapy related projects or news that you'd like to share? Oh, I do actually. Oh, good. Let's do um, it. Yeah. Uh, three things actually, because I'm just not happy with only one. <laughs> um, <laughs> back in February, I published my ebook. It's on music therapy ebooks. It's a book of visualization scripts, like relaxation scripts. Um, because I use them all the time when I do workshops and, and lead seminars and in-services and things. And people were asking me, they're like, oh, where did you get that really great script? It was fantastic. And I'm like, well, I just made it up. So I finally had enough people asking me, where did you get that script? That I thought, okay, maybe I should put all of my scripts into a book. Oh, what um, a fantastic idea. So, so it's out there now. A music therapy eBooks has it. Okay. Um, it's, it's also up on Amazon because I had some people saying, oh, you know, I really like to have a book so I can write in it, you know. Um, so I also threw it up on Amazon for a print copy. Um, but if you prefer ebook, then go to Music Therapy eBooks and get it there. Nice. Um, and what's it called? So that's it's called Diving Deeper, 30 Visualization Scripts for Group and Individual Use, something like that. Um. It's got a big old long title. <laughs> awesome. Oh, great. We'll put um, a link to both the ebook version and the print version in your show notes so that people can find oh, it. Oh, fantastic. Thank yeah, you. Of course. Um, I've also started offering professional supervision for music therapists. Um, I figured that since I've been around for a while, um, I'm guess, I guess I'm what they would call a seasoned professional. Although whenever I hear people say that, I think of, um, I'm in the Southeast region and Elizabeth York is one of the, the professors down here. And I remember sitting next to her in a at conference a couple of years ago and she was joking about someone had called her a seasoned professional. And she always thought that meant that she was just full of salt and pepper. Oh no. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so now whenever I think seasoned professional, I think of her saying salt and pepper. Um, but I figured since I've I've been doing this music therapy thing for about 18 years that I, in a variety of different places and settings, that I probably have some wisdom to share with other music therapists. I would say so, so yeah. So I've started offering professional supervision um, by Skype, Google Hangout, um, or just regular telephone, um, flexible rates and scheduling. So I really... You know, if if people want to um, try that out, then that's available. Um, and I know that's been a, a bigger topic recently, um, especially on some of the Facebook forums. Yeah. Um, seeking out, you know, help on what do I do with this and what do I do about that? And especially if we're working in um, mental health areas, I think it's especially important for those of us working in mental health because so much comes up in those sessions um, that affects us um, on many different levels. So I think sometimes that certainly is something that needs to be needs to be addressed and processed through. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And can people find that that through your website? They can email me for that. It's oh, I'm in 
process of revamping my website. Okay. So when it gets finished, hopefully this month, we'll see. Um, these websites take so much longer than you ever think they will. That's so true. <laughs> so it will be up there when the when the website gets redone and goes live. Um, but in the meantime, they can just email me. Okay, about and it. we'll be sharing your email address at the end of the episode, so they yes, will have that information. You. Yes. And any other news? The other project I'm working on right now is another ebook for hopefully for release by the end of this year because I've been leading these um, wellness sessions for women that I'm compiling all of my session plans into a book. And so there will be, oh goodness, like 50 session plans um, in this wellness book. So it's going to be great for um, if you're leading group sessions or support groups or you're doing any kind of group work Um, And it doesn't have to be limited to women. I do it with women, but um, you could take some of the ideas and expand them for other groups as well. But there'll be 50 group session plans in there, and it's the kind of thing that you can just grab the book off your shelf and flip flip it to a topic and say, okay, this is what, you know, we've been talking about lately um, and pull a session plan out and just go with it. So, Oh, I love that so much. I'm, I'm actually very excited to, to get my hands on that. That sounds really fascinating. Good. Yes. I've been working on, I've been working on some of the first ones this week and sort of, I got some feedback from uh, some friends of mine. They were like, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. Okay. So I'm working out all those details and hopefully I've got myself on a schedule to finish it by the end of the year. That's exciting. Well, please keep me posted. And once that's out, we'll update your show notes page so that everyone else can find it too. Great. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation and all of the great advice and insights you had to share. Oh, I'm so glad to have been here, Rachel. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Stephanie a message, you can contact her via email, stephanie at imageryandmusic.com or her Facebook page, Healing Sounds Music Therapy in Alabama. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. I'll talk to you again next week.